when you need to convey just how monstrous your movie monster is, what better way than to just add an adjective to your film's title? This is Kaiju vs. History, The Deadly Mantis. Welcome back to Kaiju vs. History. My name's Patrick, and my cohort here in Monster Mayhem and Deadly Daikaiju is Miles. How are you, Miles? I have suffered. <laughs> why, I, why is that? I, 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 I tend to try to always keep a cheery disposition on this show, even when we have to watch some movies, because I have often said I'm a fan of trash. I'm a fan of bad movies. But sometimes... You, you, you watch the wrong movie at the wrong time and you just you can't do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was almost in the headspace for our Tarantula review. We're, we're in similar territory with with this film going back stateside, going back to, you know, directors with perhaps not the same skill sets or, or resources as we we get in with last week's Rodan. I want to go back to Toho Studios. <laughs> and we were we were we were we were riding high, and we we're like, "Oh, it's so good to be back feasting at the table of Toho." And I think we we might have also just been kind of like, you know, deluding ourselves that we had to watch this movie the next week. Well, um, I, I had never seen it before this, so I mean, I'm happy that I saw it <laughs> once. But this is such an example of you know, with a movie like them. Just a couple years before, they did so much with so little. This movie does so little with so much. And we're going to talk about it this week. We're going to talk about the history of it. We're going to talk about our our review, everything. But let, let's start off. Miles, did you know <laughs> that in all of the kingdom of the living, there is no more deadly or voracious creature than the praying mantis? That's what this movie wants you to believe. <laughs> I mean, um, this this is a a characteristic of of every movie that is singularly focused on an individual creature is is they always take time to talk about what is special about the the actual creature, whether it's an insect or a snake or there. There's always a conversation about how these creatures are unique, and so I I actually don't take issue with this whole info dump about how wildly dangerous and you know, I I mean, horrifying prey mantises are supposed to be in this film. Yeah, but it's the same thing. You could have just put a any other, I feel like, insect. I mean, you could just put a spider in the place of this monster and it would have really made a much difference to the plot. Like, we don't get a lot of cool prey mantis stuff. Like, I want, I really wanted to see the monster in this movie use those massive claws and just like snap a building in half. We don't I get to see it. Definitely wanted that as well, because <laughs> you, you have this whole bit where he it happened. It happened. Oh yeah. 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 We just it, didn't see it happen. <laughs> oh yes, exactly. The, the only thing that I really knew about uh, praying mantises growing up as a kid, well, they were kind of, there was like a fine if you killed one, cause they were very rare where I grew up in New yeah, York. Same, but, same here they kill their mate they like mate and then like the woman like lops the head off the the male 
something yeah. you can't do if there's only one mantis in this movie <laughs> this is like rodan there's two pterodons in that movie this this one should have had two praying mantises yeah we're really we're front loading here we need to get into talking yeah, about we, this we, we, we do i like I said, I try not to have this vibe going into any <laughs> of our features, but this this one. So in May of 1957, uh, you know, you have a giant wave of monster films, uh, specifically a giant monster films. Oh, yeah. And so U.S. Universal Pictures released a new creature feature in the form of the Deadly Mantis. This was a film that was typically, as we talked about a couple times, how these would be. Uh, put on a double bill at drive-ins with typically a spy or some sort of uh, action exploitation movie. This was the the girl in the Kremlin is what this was paired with. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's not a ton that we know about the making of this film outside of like that. It was released and it was released with this particular movie. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to give some, some historical context and some things that we know, but I mean, this, guys, gals, non-binary beings this is going to be a short episode we've we've (laughs) spoken about how this was going to happen at some point in the future and there is not a ton here yeah i mean and this is going to happen again again much more so than mantis uh, or uh, not mantis (laughs) than tarantula somehow this is really feels like a cash grab. We talked about how King of the Monsters, Raymond Burr scenes were filmed in 24 hours. feels like this was written in 24 hours and just kind of oh, slapped one, in front of actors and this directors. This was written after a Hollywood party on a bender that someone needed to bang out a script by Monday to it's, hand in. That is so, not a historical fact. That is what I believe happened. <laughs> uh, yeah, so not really a lot of title things to talk about. It had some interesting taglines for this film. A thousand tons of horror from a million years ago. This is an ancient monster, and I think they, there's a line in there where they talk about how, like, oh, well, if this bug was this big, then all the bugs back then had to have been huge. You're like, imagine what this would have eaten. And now it doesn't have those bugs, so it's going to eat humans. The most dangerous monster that ever lived was another tagline. Not, it wasn't that scary. The day, though, this was the day that engulfed the world in terror. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess if a giant <laughs> mantis, a praying mantis was flying around, I'd be a little afraid, but. Sure, but I just, I love the hubris i mean of course these these <laughs> these this is the the era that you have like these these giant like william castle like gimmicks happening all the time and so you're gonna have these things that are trying to convince you that oh this is the most horrifying thing you'll ever see i mean if you've if you've seen tim burton's ed wood you get a glimpse of how some of this stuff works sometimes the poster and tagline were made before the movie yeah, yeah, and that feels like the case here. I, I will say a, a regular praying mantis is a weird alien-looking bug. You know, sure. it's, I would say, up there freaky as, as say, a tarantula is. But one of the, yeah, one of the things about them that was so interesting was, I mean, they, they look, looked kind of like monstrous ants. Maybe it's because ants are so small and you don't really see them like in macro form, but they looked like, uh, you know, creepy bug monsters in that movie, even if they weren't really Daikaiju scale. They were just like very large monster scale. I think I mentioned in that movie what that 
what them needed was to have like a really giant queen to right. really propel it into the annals of, you know, Godzilla and King Kong and things like that. This movie has the scale. We're going to talk about the scale a lot. It just doesn't have a lot else going for it. This takes place in the same kind of headspace as a lot of the other 1950s monster movies, but starts out a little bit differently. This is in the, the height of the beginning of the Cold War. And at the time, you know, a huge threat was the USSR and perhaps something being able to fly over our northern border. So, you know, if you take this on its face, this is, you know, part of Cold War propaganda films and the Mantis takes on the role of this outside invader. They reference its uh, scale as as being as long as a C-47 Skytrain, which was like, if you think of like a a large World War II era plane. It's one of the the main kind of passenger planes that they used. You know, not as actually, I think a little bit bigger than your your standard um, bomber, but it, it was like a people mover for the most part, people and and supplies and things like that. But yeah, the beginning of this movie goes into great detail about the radar defensive lines arrayed around the Arctic North, as well as through islands and throughout international waters, as well as the ground observer core, which are literally like, I think visual spotters, you know, looking out for Russian planes and things like that. Yeah. Uh, a very dry start. It, almost like 20 beats from 20,000 fathoms. Because I, I feel like musically, it's got a nice moody opening, but almost immediately the budget shuts that down because it's <laughs> this long, Boring narration. Not the snap that the long use of just the paper map. Oh, yeah. A a classic for these films. I mean, it's used a lot, but like for whatever reason, there is a degree of like complete cheapness that that is felt here. Because, yes, a lot of things will use paper mats or something. Sometimes you'll have some nice little lines that are, 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 are done, not digitally, but, you know, over the film. None of that here. And it just... It doesn't set a great precedent, and it doesn't get any better from there. Jumping it's, in. Oh, what, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say, there is a little bit of a, a movie showmanship that's not present in a number of prior American uh, productions. Uh, t- typically, before, it's been title card, and it's off to the races, kind of as if it was a stage show. This is how those prior films were, you know, mostly made for, for the longest time, is you would have movies that kind of felt like it was a... a a stage show where you get the the title card and a card that has the entire cast and then the movie starts uh-huh. and and here you get a little bit of a, a, a movie and then they eventually show you the title card and it's it, it's a noticeable difference that's, that's one nice thing i can say about this film i was about to say you're really reaching for the the positive comments on this one to start with I, th- there are parts of the intro that that were interesting and we'll talk about the production design. There are some nice sets early on. I feel that falls away as the movie drags on and they, they turn into, can we borrow this office kind of uh, scenes? Oh, a hundred percent. But uh, yeah, when they're at the, the Arctic North, you know, I mean, some parts are even, I would say better 
than the beast from 20,000 fathoms, which feels very similar. Those kind of tacked on scenes to the, to the monster bits. This is the first dip into sci-fi for veteran director, Nathan Juran, who was the art director on how green was my Valley. And he directed law and order in 1953 with future president Ronald Reagan. And the same year, he would also have another Reagan film, Hellcats of the Navy. Well, you buried the lead there, Patrick. He won an Oscar for best art direction for How yeah. Green Was My Valley. So the, like, the technical aspects, you, you got to think, we're, are going to look great in this film, you know, from from that. Yeah, I mean, you you want to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, he he won the Oscar, I mean, for art direction, but still, and has worked with in other films has has a kind of a similar career arc to Ashira Honda in which he's done you know, some war films as well as some other kind of smaller projects. I want to say maybe some Westerns and things like that, but yeah, following it up it teams up with special effects, stop motion master uh, Ray Harryhausen for a million miles to earth after this and in, in, in sci-fi land and would go on to, direct attack of the 50 foot woman as well oh boy can't wait <laughs> to get to those <laughs> oh no but yeah this is his first his first dip of his toes into to science fiction this film was written by uh, martin berkeley the same author as uh, tarantula very different film though i would say for for some aspects of that film and in this one um yeah. I mean, they both have monster movies, but there's so many like other elements to Tarantula with the mad scientist and these weird, like poisoned zombie kind of figures. Nothing weird like that in this script. This is pretty paint by the numbers. I'm just going to come out and say it's pretty much a shameless rip of elements of them and the beast from 20,000 fathoms, which I can't fault them. Those were two extremely popular monster movies, but there are scenes that feel like they're oh. directly from those movies. I mean, the basic plot is, you know, a an Arctic base gets attacked. No one knows why. Then other attacks keep happening. And then we finally get a, a glimpse of the creature. We, uh, You have some back and forth because at one point in time, part of the, the Mantis's Claw, the, claw the, I guess. The tip of the claw, it like heals itself because I don't. I never. I I always look for like damage. And I was like, I I, I it, did too. Is it like one of like the little ridges underneath I, the claw? I think so. It but, looks like a big toenail. <laughs> like a yeah. Big well, I mean, it, it absolutely looks like a piece of paper mache, and 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 it was. <laughs> but so you have that. You have something that that the, the scientist can kind of go back and forth on. And I mean, it it, it is taking everything from prior movies that we've seen for this podcast and doing absolutely nothing with it. And that's, yeah. that to me is, is the real crime is it doesn't, I don't care. That's bad. I don't care that you're reusing something. Just don't be boring. And that mm. is my biggest problem with this film is that it's, it's so boring. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was, Bored with a lot of parts of Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, I was excited to get to that movie, but the human parts are they like thirty minutes of the movie could be cut to the film's betterment. But yeah, go, going back to this one being ripped, 
they are uh, one of my favorite scenes from them, which if you recall, I enjoyed a great deal seeing for the first time here was ripped directly from that script where we see one of the Arctic stations gutted, you know, like with a can opener exposed to the elements, just like the general store in the beginning of mm-hmm. them where the, the, the ant has torn through it. And it, I mean, it, the scene is almost beat for beat. There's two, male characters that come upon this destruction and start investigating it kind of like a crime scene, like the cops did in the beginning of that movie, mm-hmm. but it just doesn't have the same payoff. Like we, they, they don't see the monster or like get any impression of it. There, it's just like, Oh yeah, they, everyone's missing. This place is destroyed and they go on and continue on with the movie. It just, like I said, they, they have the elements. They just don't do a lot with them. We haven't, we haven't mentioned any of the actors or characters characters well, so there's not a lot to i mean there there are paint by number of characters who don't really have that much to do yeah we, we've got some pretty standard trope characters we've got your military man your scientist man and a female reporter who doesn't really come into the movie until about halfway through and then th- this movie takes place almost <laughs> You know, it was five, six years after this, but even it's it's 25 years or 24 years after King Kong. And you still have these scenes where like Ned, who's the who's the the one of the main male characters, flies Marjorie, the reporter, out with him to this base. And mm-hmm. somehow everyone acts literally like they have never seen a woman in their life. Oh, well, Miles, they have an expression up at the the north pole which is there's a girl behind every tree but there are no trees up here or whatever yeah no i remember that 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 awful line (laughs) and and i think i think one of the guys is like i don't even think they made those anymore and i'm like you you are not in a monastery you're in an air force base you know that women are a thing like it, it is so bad Craig Stevens plays Colonel Joe Parkman, who's one. He's basically our main character for the first 30 minutes until I think they have to bring in the scientist character, who's uh, William Hopper, who plays Ned, Dr. Ned Jackson, and uh, Alex Talton plays Marge Blaine. Not a lot to say about the characters, but the actors, uh, William Hopper would go on to be the main character of. One of the main characters on Perry Mason, so another Perry Mason connection with Kaiju Films, he'll play Detective Paul Drake and also would show up in 20 Million Miles to Earth. Craig Stevens would go on to TV fame as well as Peter Gunn, another detective on a show that would run for 114 episodes. Very popular show that I've never heard of before. Another one with a great soundtrack. If you if you ever looked for like uh, 60s, 70s soundtracks uh, that's a good one and alex telton you know i believe also went on to tv after like a, a fairly short studio film career she would also show up on perry mason i think peter gunn and all these other shows with renetting with the cast of this movie one thing this film has very well in hand is i feel like Design-wise, and we'll, we'll talk about this with our reviews, it gets the scale right for this monster in, in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. You know, it's kind of all over. I mean, King Kong is all over the place <laughs> with its scale. The 
tarantula in in the the eponymous <laughs> movie it, it feels like it's a loaded place even godzilla you know they kind of scale up for some scenes to have him different sizes with with the buildings we don't get a ton of building comparisons for the mantis but in the scene where it climbs up on the washington monument the scale seems right they, they say it's 200 feet long and i think the washington monument's like 500 maybe 600 feet and it's like like halfway the size of the building and that that's the scene the one scene that they use a live mantis for so it looks pretty good you know scale yeah, wise it, it, if if i they there are some moments where i feel like the scale is is right and there's some moments like when it's outside of those buildings oh yeah what when its face is literally framed in like a 15 foot tall window at the the air force base it's like yeah it doesn't make a lot of sense that there's one that big of a window in like an arctic climb and yeah its face feels not the right size there it's there obviously for a scream queen moment from uh, from Alex Talton. Yeah, that that whole scene. There, there, so there's a scene where they're they're at. I think they're up north in the in the Alaska mm-hmm. uh, A research facility, and they're they're trying to suss out like I think maybe where the creature is or whatever. In the meantime, the creature has found its way to the building, and <laughs> then you get a pause where like it's it's lording over this building for a while. Yeah, as if the, it's, the it's, conversation it's, continues, and it's just kind of looking in at uh i i, at I, t- I took i took notes this is where yeah margin and ned are just have this conversation and i feel like the the creature is like waiting for for like asking if ned can come out and play because he's just like just hanging out and then eventually kind of pops his head kind of in the window and as soon as she screams and there's a reaction to its presence that's when it starts going nuts on the building yeah there, there are, I think, three other different depictions of, of the Mantis, a couple of different scale, kind of like puppetry models. And then they actually built, to their credit, a 200-foot size scale paper mache creation, like head and arms and, and bits of the, the torso and things. And they all looked pretty pretty similar yeah uh, not like they, the puppet in gojira which is uh, a little jarring at first i mean maybe it's because it looks so weird and alien itself like it it looks like a mantis this giant paper mache head you know yeah works pretty well i like the overall design of the creature i think it's not a bad looking creature I mean, it's just a mantis though like there's right. very that, little that, that they that's alter. the thing is it, it is just a mantis like it's a good looking paper mache until it tries to move and at one there's one scene when it's stalking up to the building where it is you can tell it's literally being rolled out yeah yeah it's it's the problem that the the ants from them had which is like when they want to move them you can tell you know it is not an actual (laughs) insect moving they hide the fact in in probably the most famous scene from the movie where it's it's for some reason has crawled into like the Lincoln tunnel <laughs> and yeah. uh, there, there's like tons of cars in front of it. It's like kind of crawling over the cars. looks really good there. If, if people are trying to grab a, um, a still from the movie, that's like one of the most popular ones. It doesn't look terrible when it's flying either. I, I forget which scale it is for, for that, but 
like I said, hard to mess up when it's literally just a mantis blown up to size. I mean, it's the same thing with tarantula. It's like, well, they can't make the tarantula look bad because it's just a live tarantula crawling right. around. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like these same characters we've kind of already met in it came from beneath the sea, the an uninterested male scientist character. And then you got the, the female lead and the military man kind of like finding a, a relationship. He, I, I keep calling him a scientist. He is a museum paleontologist, Dr. Ned <laughs> in this film. Yeah. Like I said, all these guys probably go on to do much better things. They're just given nothing for these characters. You know, they, yeah. it doesn't really feel like they're ever put in a lot of danger, even when they, uh, I mean, they take another scene straight out of them where they have to go. Well, they go into the sewers of, of L.A. in in them. This movie, when they go into the 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 crosstown tunnel or whatever it is to. And after they've gassed the creature, they go in with chemical grenades. And uh, what do they do? They still have flamethrowers at that part. I forget to to take on the beast. I was very excited for the climax of the movie for because they go in with like six or seven military people to to take on the mantis the mantis doesn't kill any of them right <laughs> i don't think so once again they have this giant paper mache i thought someone was going to get sliced in half or or eaten or something nothing <laughs> nothing why why even make the <laughs> i mean I, I, they could have done you know just a reverse screen of one of the smaller miniatures for the amount that they actually interacted with the the paper mache they uh, like i said they did so little with so much (laughs) as far as the technical aspects of the film go yeah and because i know you're gonna ask me as to what worked in this movie for me what worked miles what's your favorite scene name there there is one thing that i thought was so prescient and it's when there is some kind of montage of, of, of newspaper stuff about the mantis and the one newspaper that pops up of a congressman calling the mantis a giant hoax. <laughs> and I was like, boy, how precious is that these times? Yeah, we don't um, believe our, our military men. <laughs> like when they said they saw a flying saucer and that was only confirmed in 2020 by the U.S. military. So, yeah, I, I, I thought that was was very, very funny. And I was like, OK, well, there 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 is some sense in this in this piece of work <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about what didn't work in the film and spend another hour talking about oh, this no, movie. We're, we're, we're not going to do that we, the worst <laughs> I, I think the worst thing about this movie i mean y- y- you can bang on the bad script or kind of uninterested actors all you want um but th- this is a directing thing and it for me it was the use of stock footage which i mean i understand you're gonna have to do if you're gonna have like you know giant military scenes and things like that and we get a lot of stock footage of airplanes specifically because you know mm-hmm. giant mantis takes to flight and they're chasing it down in films like 1954's godzilla stock footage is used to great effect and really kind of seamlessly fits in between scenes of of the actors uh, but here there's just entire segments literally entire scenes of other films cut out and placed into the movie. The first one, I I thought it was very interesting because I thought it might've been original 
to this movie at first, but was the the scene of the native Alaskans, the Inuit people. A scene, the mantis flying over, there's like panic in their village. All the men take to their their canoes, their boats, and like go out on the water. I was like, oh my goodness, these are these are not, you know, <laughs> extras from LA or whatever. This is like shot on location, actual peoples in their their village. I was like, how do they do this? And then I was obviously super crushed and unhappy when I found out this is just a scene wholly lifted from um, a German film, I I believe 1933's SOS Iceberg. And they just, I'm not sure because I didn't find that film if it was sped up or not, but it was at like uh, 125% speed. But that might've just been like the, them under cranking the, the film real mm-hmm. a little bit for, for that movie it was hard to tell but anyway that entire scene was just taken from another movie filmed 34 years earlier or 24 yeah. years earlier and but i mean the, it, the, it goes beyond that because all the stock footage of the the jet planes and things like that later on they like cut between different planes like different models of planes i think they use three different elements of stock footage and cut it in such a way that you're supposed to believe different planes have like the same pilot in it, or it's, we're supposed to be following the same one. There's yeah. Like I said, mul- multiple planes. You can look it up. <laughs> I really don't care to complain about it anymore, but it's obviously it's, it's one thing that oh, they saved a lot of money. I'm sure <laughs> not well, filming so and extra stuff, but in, in, in talking about what doesn't work to me. And, and I think I, again, and I've railed on this before is that in, in the American giant monster movies of the 50s there is no identity it's the giant mantis it's them it's tarantula it is just giant irradiated bugs or irradiated animals in a sense to where that there there's nothing to them than just being a big version of the animal and for for me i mean yes you can make that good but for the most part especially when talking about this this genre and and in parallel with the films that are being released you know in Japan specifically i i find that there's a like an absolute lack of interesting character to these things and yeah, it, it, yeah and, and i'm not not just these things as the creature but these these films I, I I find the the giant bug movies. Yes, there there can be an interesting aspect to the atomic movies of the fifties in the states, in that there was a lot of this paranoia culture, a lot of a lot of containment culture in, in reaction to the the blossoming Cold War. Them was great for that. You can read it in so many different ways. This is just a, a big bug comes to town. <laughs> we gotta stop it. We really yeah, gotta- and I mean. That that kind of parallel and that kind of metaphor only takes you so far. And I, and again, it's not that this does the same thing as other movies. It's not that it takes different parts of other movies. Listen, I love the 80s slasher genre. And a lot of those movies are, are mirrors of one another. But so many of them did enough individual things to differentiate themselves that they were mm-hmm. at least fun to watch. And that is not what's happening here. It is not that me and Patrick want to rail on this movie i mean i i go into every film that we watch wanting to like it i learned my lesson because i didn't think i was going to like them but i i ended up loving it so it, it is truly that this this movie is i mean it's a chore to watch it's while there are a couple things that you could honestly if you made like a a three minute video 
you could possibly glean the, the the cool stuff from it. But for me, I think this is honestly a a wholly unenjoyable film. I think it's kind of a a, a blip on the the, the radar. And uh, yeah, I just I, it, it's tough to find other things to talk about it that aren't <laughs> just us complaining. And I don't I don't like bringing that vibe to this show. <laughs> well, it's uh, unfortunately we're gonna get to our review here in in just a moment but it's kind of similar to tarantula and you know they're written by the same person so it kind of makes sense but it's when you're talking about the the decade the 50s decade that that we are in even though we did do king kong and, and son of kong in this season as well but in the 50s this doesn't even rate in the top 10 monster films unfortunately you know there's just so many other good ones in the 50s I don't think this one will will end up making the cut. We'll see by by the scores, but for personal enjoyment, I give this one a four. <laughs> I know that that seems rough, but I went in, you know, hoping for the best. But it was a disappointing watch. We 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 were look. I mean, it's only it's like eighty minutes long, but I was looking at my my watch. <laughs> yeah, and that's the that, that's the thing is, I, I, when I saw the time, I was like, oh man, this is gonna fly by, and I was wrong. <laughs> So about, I, I, what about I you, just, Miles? I kind of just gave my little review for for the movie, and I told Patrick this might happen because he was kind of surprised initially that my numbers were a little generous, and the, I, I said, "Well, when we talk about the show, that might change because I my my temper may flare up," and so it did. All right, let's so, let's get to change on the scores. I'm giving this one a three. Oh Which boy. We we list as regrettable, notably flawed and frustrating, and guilt-inducing. And because there are some things that I do find redeeming, that few that they may be, and because that I do think while the actors are kind of dead weight, they they showed up for work. They're but they're by no means good. They're they're mostly stock themselves, but they're 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 enough that even though what they're doing is uh, bringing a bad script to life it's yeah, it's not but, two or one <laughs> yeah and we'll, we'll talk about the, the the technical aspect the next part you know which is you know everything from directing acting the music which actually wasn't terrible in in parts and then you know the the effects and the monster bits i'm digging this pretty heavily for for that terrible use of stock footage i loved the paper mache Mm-hmm. action that the, the fact that they went to that effort and then did nothing of interest with it just angered me even more so i'm going to take my score down i was originally going to give this a seven for its technical aspects i'm going to bring it down to a six i still think you're being generous <laughs> <laughs> well like i said it's because that i mean i could tell that a lot of people cared about some of the set design early on there was a lot of great work with even even if you could tell what's being wheeled in with the giant monster and with the different miniatures, those aspects of the film were what drew my attention. So that's why that, that, that's getting the highest of the three scores for me. So what about you? Technically? So the technical like like you is the highest score that I'm going to give this film. I did think the paper mache creature looked pretty decent. I did think the music was also pretty solid uh there was like i said there was some moody stuff at the beginning it does a competent job and and that's kind of where it it ends for me because the while the paper mache creature looked neat and while it is a really cool feat they everything else about 
the the special effects fall so flat. And then the stock footage, I'm not as harsh about the stock footage, but at Ugh. the same time, the the way the creature moves is, I mean, it, it feels like a high school production. Like I look and see, and I and I get it's been you know sixty years, but I see the kids that made the production of Alien and how good that looks, <laughs> and how that looks better than what's in this film, and that is deeply unfair of me, and I understand that. But just what looking at this, and I, I apparently am not alone. This movie was not a hit. This movie was not well received, mm. and so it's not just me picking on a movie from the fifties. I, I gave it a five, though. I thought that was a pretty yeah. fair score. Yeah, five, six down there. I mean, I think that's like one of the things that the movie had going for it. It didn't capitalize on. And then as far as its its cultural impact or its emotional impact, the aspect that, I don't know, it's hard to quantify this last one, what we're grading on, but kind of like its filminess is part of that. We could not enjoy a film but still understand that it's like a good film if that makes oh, sense yeah i mean i i i gave and i know some people thought i was very very harsh i i gave you know king kong oh yeah that's a good example a seven but i still gave it i think like a, a nine or ten in terms of its its actual, impact it's yeah it's evocative nature as a piece of art like it that that one soars this one False yeah, this, flat. This, this this doesn't mean that this is going to be some surprise. No, that this is a three for me. I gave it a four because I mean it feels like a, a soulless cash grab. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean it, it it essentially was. I mean, this is a film that if you look deep deep, deep into the atomic monster movies of the fifties, it'll it'll be on the list. But it's not one that people talk about that much. It's not used a ton. I mean. Even, I can even, I can see why them is so well remembered. <laughs> well, and, and it's it's funny you said that because I mean, even in some of the reviews that I've seen, there was one was a four out of ten that says devoid of anything fresh, featuring a tired storyline and overuse of stock footage, and peppered with lifeless characters. It's no surprise to see this drop off the radar, whilst two true classics like them and the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms reign supreme. So that we've got some odd numbers here. Uh, you're like three and a half. I'm at like four and a half for our overall score. This is now our our lowest rated film at a total final score of four. And I I kind I kind of agree with that. I kind of do wish I would I would go back and ding Tarantula a little bit more because after watching this one, it's like was Tarantula that bad? Yes, yes, it was. But I actually might have enjoyed Deadly Mantis. Uh, I, I also gave Tarantula more. a four, so I'm, I'm, I don't have to move anywhere. Well, no, yours, <laughs> uh, yours after changing your score here is a three for, for yes. this one. So right. yeah, they're they're in the same wheelhouse. Skippable. I think if you want to prove us wrong and be like, it can't be that bad. I invite you to go try and find this movie. It was not on any streaming service that that we could find, or at least I could find. And I don't feel like there's a, a current DVD pressing. Oh uh, no, uh, Shout Shout Factory did a Blu-ray. Oh, okay, great. Well, I was looking for DVDs. <laughs> I was looking everywhere, but yeah, it's it's because it's. I don't think it's in demand. <laughs> yeah, um, I, it was one. I believe. Yeah, you can still get buy it from their website, and I I wanted. I felt like ordering it because. The because Shout Factory also has access to the entire run of MSC3K, they include oh, the yep. episode 
on the Blu-ray. Yeah, so that's probably pretty worth it. Worth it, and that's how I I had I think seen parts of this. I must have seen the episode at some point, but it was on MSC 3K with a lot of other great yeah, terrible um, 50s movies. Right, and the the episode uh, aired February twenty second, nineteen ninety seven. There is, and this is the one reason I almost wanted to buy it. Although I'm glad I didn't spend the twenty two ninety nine, but I would have been very very interested in the audio commentary because there were two film historians that were going to do a deep dive for the commentary and it may not have leaned anything more. And again, we are more of a cliff notes as opposed to a full academic kind of history show as we have proven time and again. So I, I don't make any money off this. I wasn't going to buy this expensive Blu-ray <laughs> to yeah. possibly hear some interesting commentary on this very, very uninteresting movie. It's a little expensive for an episode of MST3K, a single episode, but I'm glad that I glad it was it was it was put out there in in that format for people that do enjoy it. I mean, Shout has put out a ton of that kind of stuff. I mean, they've they've put out a Blu-ray for a Tarantula. They put out Mole People and War of the Colossal Beasts and stuff like that. So that they yeah. Shout does great work. There is a massive movement of getting a lot of these cult or unloved whether for good reason or not in a high definition format i i love seeing that kind of film preservation at play yeah so that is gonna do it for us like i said go find <laughs> this movie if you want to seek it out 22.99 might be a bit much but that is that is it for this week's episode follow us on twitter at kaiju versus history email us if this is your Favorite 50s monster movie with why or other kaiju facts at kaiju versus history at gmail.com and check out our website to get ready to see what movies are coming up in our chronological watch through through the annals of monster movie mayhem. Yeah, that's going to do it. Yeah. So thank you, Patrick. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in with us once again. And we will catch you next time when one of the goofiest creatures to ever grace kaiju cinema takes this guy's with a face only a mother could love. That's right. Next time, tune in for History versus The Giant Claw. <laughs>